0: So on David's return from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul sent him over the whole army. And all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. As they were coming home, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they made merry, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry for this saying, displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house, while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul threw the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and David marched out and came in leading the army. David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for it was he who marched out and came in leading them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, as we hear this story and we, as we wonder what it tells us about our lives, about you, we ask that you bind us uh, together through your spirit to its meaning and its message and its purpose for the continuing story that you are weaving together. In your name we pray. Amen. So when you think about what is happening in this story, which way is Saul going? And which way is David going? Right? This is a story that's telling us about how God is accomplishing his plan, his will, which is to have David be the king of Israel. And not because David is some sort of perfect specimen, but because this is God's chosen one. And how does God do that? God weaves together these things that are happening to tell and make his will come to be. So he takes what's already happening in David, his ability as a capable soldier and leader of the army, his ability to be a good shepherd, his ability to play music that calms and comforts the king. He takes all those things together to bring David into Saul's court and presence. And he takes Saul's power as well as the disposition of Saul's heart to let Saul be Saul in such a way that leads David higher and Saul lower. And it's not as though this couldn't turn around. It's not as though God has uh, condemned or left Saul completely But what the text is telling us when he talks about sending this evil spirit to Saul is that the Hebrews recognize that God was in control of all things. And sometimes he lets us be ourselves, even when it's not good, what's in us. Because he can use even that to accomplish his will. So it's the Hebrew way of talking about God, knowing all things, and being able to use all things to accomplish his will. And so he takes Saul, who just grows in his fear and his anger. And Saul just piles on top of one thing after another in his fear all these misconceptions and misunderstandings of what's happening to David, and thinks that David, he thinks that David is the one who is reaching for this power, not realizing the ironic thing is that God is the one who is bringing all of these things together. And so he has a right to be worried about what's happening with David as David rises to power, but it's because of God, not because of David. And stopping David isn't going to end it. In fact, it's not going to work as we see throughout the book of Samuel. And so Saul hears, for instance, this common cry, this common refrain that the women would sing when the soldiers would come back Saul, his thousands, and da da da, the tens thousands. It's not meant to be this, uh, scholars tell us, it's not meant to be this actual measurement of the number of people whom these people have brought an end to, but it's just a normal victory cry. That Saul then, because he's so afraid, misinterprets and sees through the lens of his jealousy about the people coming to love and recognize David and David's place in the pe- among the people of God. So he's jealous about that. He's jealous about the way that when he's upset, David is the only one that can calm him down, and then he realizes it's David who he's worried about taking his throne, and it sends him into anger again. It's this cycle that he's caught in because he's not addressing what's causing his fear and his anger. And so this evil spirit that's inside of him, this evil disposition of this fear and this wanting to stay in power at whatever the cost is what is keeping Saul stuck. And yet it is also what God ends up using To establish David with praise and acceptance and a love among the people. And by Jonathan. So Jonathan is Saul's son. And if there were to be this succession line, Jonathan would be the first choice to become king after Saul. And Jonathan in his own right is a good soldier, he's a capable leader, he's a brave man, just like David is. And perhaps it's what Jonathan sees in David, when David goes out to face Goliath, that draws Jonathan to him, and this deep bond of friendship the text describes in such an intimate way, right, of a soul being united to a soul of being knit together is another way of translating that, of loving someone so deeply. And we know that this friendship that David has with Jonathan is what God will use to sustain David's life in the face of all that the king does to to try to destroy him. And who has more to lose by David's whoop rise? It's not Saul. It is actually Jonathan. Jonathan. Because Jonathan is the one who is looking towards his whole future. But Jonathan is not thinking about himself. Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Jonathan takes his belongings and gives them to David. Jonathan binds himself to someone else for their good, it turns out. So Jonathan <clears throat> risks everything for David. And the kind of language that's used to describe this relationship between them, it's the kind of language we use today to talk about marriage, isn't it? This deep intimacy of knitting together and becoming one. This deep bond of support and protection and perhaps at the time, it, they thought of it, they didn't think, well, I know this actually. Marriage was not the same thing among these people as it is among us today. So what does that say about us, that we have now exclusively made such intimacy something that can only happen between a married couple? Have we lost this opportunity for deep friendship that we see here between David and Jonathan. Our lens of what's appropriate between two human beings has become so narrow in this sense that people today wonder whether or not there's supposed to be something else going on between David and Jonathan than just this friendship when we read this story. But that's because of what we bring to it instead of reading what the text gives to us, which is this gift Of seeing two people who seek, one in particular, David's a little passive in Samuel, actually, one in particular, one friend in particular who gives of himself for a greater good through another person. Love and covenant were language words that were used not just personally, but more often in this time period to talk about political and social connection. So for us to be so focused on them just being between the intimacy of a married couple, we have lost this avenue of God's blessing. We have lost this opportunity to experience friendship. And we know this to be true. Like, we're looking at some friends over here together on Sunday morning who love each other deeply, Who have each other's backs, who tell each other they should clean their rooms. I've watched it happen. Friends who know and seek the good as well as see the bad in each other, but love each other all the same. When you think about your fiercest friendships, how old were you when they happened? For me, it was as a child. I don't use that word to describe my friendships anymore, and I hope your story is different than mine. But our fears is friendships of childhood. This is in us. God has designed us for this kind of intimacy, and not just with the partner that we share our our life with, but we somehow grow out of it. And maybe it's because as we grow older and there's there's more obvious good and bad that we would like to hide from the world, And there's more good and bad in us that we would like to not have be known to others. But think of how this story could have gone differently. If Saul had someone who could speak with him and to him about this evil spirit that was controlling him. Think of how this story could have gone differently if God had not brought Jonathan And given Jonathan not just the capability and bravery to be a good soldier, but to be a good friend to David. Aristotle talks about friendship the way that we talk about marriage. Viewing somebody as your other self, of being united. Aquinas talks about it as not just seeking the good for your friend, but also knowing what they do that is good and bad and being able to be so present in that relationship to talk about it, to share that together. And this is how God, in Samuel, weaves the story of his people together so that David makes it to the throne through something as ordinary as a friendship, to men who were married to other women, to men who had lots of power over armies. It is the friendship that sustains David's life. It is the friendship that I think witnesses to David, character, so that when he has the opportunity to take Saul's life, he doesn't. It is Jonathan, I think, who is the hero of this story. Jonathan, this man who when he takes off his robe and his armor and he gives them to David, is relinquishing his right to the throne so that David and God's will can be done. Think for a moment with me in Thanksgiving for your fiercest friendship. Perhaps it is your spouse, and that is a beautiful, lovely thing. Now think for a moment about how you, you crave, how your soul craves to continue to be united to the soul of another. This is how the Holy Spirit knits us together. Knits us together so that together we can accomplish God's will. Knits us together as as Jonathan and David were knit together so that David could accomplish the plans that God had for his people, not just for David. Through these close bonds, united in the will of God. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we ask you to cast out any fear that we have, any worries that might come to our minds when we think about having a friendship that is described in the way that David and Jonathan's is described. May we be people who are known for loving fiercely. In particular, we think of modern-day men who are trying to find their way in this world and who have been told for so long that this Soar of friendship and love and expression is a sign of weakness. And so we condemn and we confess that we have bought into that lie. And we ask for your forgiveness, God, but also your Holy Spirit's courage and power to seek to broaden our relationships as well as deepen them. That you will bless us with adult, fierce friendships that we will be people who know the good and the bad and love unconditionally, but also be people who, through that loving unconditionally, will be used by you, God, for your good. This gift that awaits us is one that we anticipate being changed by. Because we know that this is what you do. You take the ordinary things of this world including friendship, and you do extraordinary things through them. And so as we come to your table now to remember another time of ordinariness that you use for extraordinary purposes, we ask you to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.